we start blessed by that worship team. But this is one of my favorite sounds in the church. Um, the sound of children uh, running off to be instructed and we, we pray God's blessing over them during the significant hour that uh, they're gonna have. Uh, maybe more than an hour because I've got a couple hours of material here. So we'll just see how it goes. Uh, we are in this great series about the letters to the churches. Uh, and these letters came to us uh, from the Apostle John during a time of persecution. Uh, the author of Revelation, I believe, was the, the Apostle John, who's the longest serving apostle. I mean, he probably was recruited to the apostles. Jesus said, come follow me, uh, when maybe he was around 16 years old. Now he's in his 80s, maybe he's even hit 90. Uh, and imagine his life. All of his peers are gone. Um, Jerusalem has been sacked, the temple is gone. That's absolutely unthinkable. Uh, and so the whole culture that he'd lived with, his culture, his country, his, his colleagues, all this is, is gone. Uh, and he, uh, instead of martyring, and maybe they learned that the uh, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, he is exiled. Um, and this is the island of uh, Patmos, uh, and he is, there's actually a cave that uh, they've turned into a church and made all glitzy uh, where he was held. Uh, and as he is there, he is in complete isolation. And yet, every seven days, there was a special kind of grief and longing that he endured because he knew that that was when the church was meeting. The church that he had pastored in Ephesus uh, and churches that he had helped to found with the other apostles were meeting to worship, and he was so longing to be there. Uh, you talk about fear of missing out. This is a holy fear of missing out, um, that when Sunday came, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and he knew that all the churches were worshiping, he didn't just use that and say, well, I can't be there, I'm defeated. But uh, Revelation 1 verse 10 says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You ever experienced that? You can't get to worship. You, you feel like you're in exile. And so you're like, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He is worshiping um, in, in not spatial communion because he couldn't be there, but in the spirit, he's there and he is on his knees and he is praying. And it was in that context that God came to him. And God brought him a message, not only for himself, the revelation of Jesus Christ that uh, we prize as the capstone of the Bible, um, but also these letters that were to be delivered um, to these churches. Um, he has seven churches um, here. Uh, it's interesting that Christ speaks of the lampstand. Um, the menorah has seven candle stands. Uh, it may be in a sense speaking of uh, those powerful lampstands, but John has a word for all of these churches, and they were specific words that related to the circumstances of these churches directly from Jesus Christ with John as the messenger, uh, but also they stand for us to tell us what does Jesus love about his church? What, what grieves Jesus in the life of his church? And where would he come alongside us and console us as the one who walks through the lampstands? And so today we're looking at one of the seven letters. There actually are two churches who receive nothing but commendation and encouragement and consolation. And this is one of those. Um, most of the churches receive uh, some commendation. Jesus always starts with saying, hey, here's where you're doing great. 
But then he says, but here is where I want to affect change. There's commentation and confrontation. But this particular church, uh, because they were in the fires of persecution, the church at Smyrna, they received nothing but commendation and really a whole lot of consolation, a whole lot of comfort for what they are going through. So if you're going through suffering this morning, there is a word here for you. And let's read uh, the very words uh, that Jesus spoke into this church, this church uh, at Smyrna. He writes, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let us pray. Lord, may we receive what you have for us. Thank you that you would love us so much that you would speak into our very lives. Um, we pray, Lord, that we might receive it, prize it, and be transformed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, these, these letters were entrusted to messengers. And uh, last week... Uh, it's a tremendous message. If you missed it, you want to get that message on the first of these letters from Christian. Uh, but he talked about the messengers and the, the literal translation is angel. But I don't think he's referring to these unique celestial creatures. He's just using the word messenger. And he's saying that these speakers of the word, the people who speak the word of God into our lives are the very messengers. Not, not so much that they're angels, but that they are messengers. Um, although it's okay if you think of them that way, um, you know, because Paul even used this um, when he spoke about himself. Um, you may know a particular troubled church in Galatia, he says that when he first went to them to preach the gospel to them, um, he had a physical infirmity. Many people think it was something really disturbing uh, going on with his eyes, uh, and it would have made him difficult to look at. Uh, and he said that he was, he was so sick in the midst of this trial, and he says, though my illness was a trial to you. You've ever had somebody who's, who's, you love who's sick, and you, you can't bear to see them sick, and maybe uh, something's going on with their face. And he says, uh, that was the way he came to them when he was preaching. He was not at his best. He was not, he was not looking good. Um, he, he was not looking like this, <laughs> you know? Um, he, he was looking in a way that they might have said, how can this, how can a fantastic message be packaged in this? And so he, Paul says, when I came in my flesh, you could have despised me or rejected me, um, but you received and welcomed me as if 
You know, the, you know how he completed that sentence? He says, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God. You welcome me as if I were not just an angel of God, but he says, you welcomed me as if I were Christ himself. <laughs> you know, the truth of the gospel is that um, when someone speaks to us, maybe a friend, a Bible study leader, and maybe someone we don't even know or are close to, but when they speak to us the word of Christ, they are bringing us the very heart and the message of Jesus. And we're called to receive the word of God in that way. That's why uh, what he says to these people uh, is so important here because uh, after introducing himself, and I love how Jesus always does this, he says that um, he always, first of all, appears as the one who says, I am. And he says, I am the first uh, and I am the last. Uh, but then after introducing himself as the ultimate Lord of authority and glory, and this is how he breaks into our life. Uh, if we're gonna listen to him, we've gotta listen to him as the Lord of glory, the one who is the first foremost authority in our life, the one who's gonna have the final word over our life. So he says, this is who I am. Make sure you know who's talking to you. It's ultimately Jesus. Uh, but then the next thing he says is he says, I know. He is awesome and he is Lord over all things, but he knows exactly what we need. And here he's saying, I know your tribulation and I know compared to the rest of the earth and all of its glitz and comfort and gold, you're, you are in poverty and yet you, you are rich. Um, and he says, I also know that right now you are being slandered. Um, you see how that word could have been so important? They are, they are being slandered uh, and they, uh, in, in that first century, they were uh, particularly experiencing suffering because of being slandered. It's always true around the world when, when some race or ethnicity is set to be experienced genocide or knocked out. The first tool, right, is slander. Uh, you've got to demean their worth. You've got to refer to them. In, in Rwanda, uh, when uh, the two competing people groups, the Hutsis and, and the Tutsis, I think, uh, were against, they, you know, called uh, them cockroaches and demeaning terms because they had to, they had to deflate the currency of their lives. And it's, it's true even on a micro level. I mean, that's like macro aggression, you know, like demeaning the value of a person. But if you're going to stir up hatred and persecution uh, of a group, you've, you've got to demean them. The first Christians were called, you know, cannibals because they ate the body and blood of Jesus, completely uh, misunderstood. They, they were called, uh, you know, immoral, incestuous relationships because they called each other brother and sister. Either, even husband and wife said primarily, like, you are, you are my spouse for this life, but you are my brother or sister for eternity. And they, they didn't understand it. They, they were slandered because they were, uh, even because they were so generous uh, with their material blessings. And, and so this slander was coming uh, against them. And it's interesting that he says it was uh, a group who uh, called themselves Jews, called themselves uh, followers of God, but really were not. Now, now some have been concerned about anti-Semitism because it's saying that, you know, they call themselves Jews, but they're a synagogue of Satan. But I think it's not even totally clear that these were even Jewish people. They could have been uh, people who were propped up uh, by the Roman non-Jewish authorities uh, but he's saying whatever they were, they were, they were not acting uh, like followers of, uh, and, and children of Abraham as they were slandering the children of Abraham who said, we found our Messiah. 
Uh, and so he says they are, they are slandering and, and demeaning the currency of them, uh, of these individuals, so that they can wipe them out. And slander is a, is, is a tool of the devil. And, and I think the application point for us, here's the take home for us, is that if we slander other believers, if we pass on untrue and evil reports about them, we are doing the devil's work. You know, and it takes courage to stand up and say, that's not true. I can't listen to that. <laughs> I, I have one occasion that I really delight in a person who is just one of my most treasured, trusted friends. And I think I may have told you this before. But he, was in a, he was in a situation where somebody was just passing on um, a really untrue report about me. And look, I, I'm of the, uh, what I call the Jack Miller uh, school of reputation. One time this preacher, Jack Miller, had a report in the Philadelphia Inquirer from a group called Fundamentalist Anonymous. He was not a fundamentalist, but he was, uh, there was a group called Fundamentalist Anonymous who were passing on all of these horrible, horrible reports about Jack Miller and what he was doing. And um, he defended himself this way. He said, if you really, he, he wrote to the inquirer and he says, um, uh, I read the article about me last week with all of those reports from Fundamentalist Anonymous. And I just want to say, if you really knew my heart, it would have been a much longer article because I'm so much worse. <laughs> That's how he reported it. But there is, there is a slander we're doing the devil's work. And, and my friend who stood before someone who passed on all this absolutely false information, he basically just said, how much is the devil paying you? Because <laughs> it's like you were doing the devil's work. You were tearing down by false report um, and, and you are passing on something that is going to diminish uh, the currency uh, of, of truth that flows through another believer. We've got to be so careful with that. We've got to be so careful. And it's a reminder that of why Jesus gets so lathered up about the faults of his churches here. Um, because if we can sometimes unwittingly, though we say we're a church of Jesus, we're a church of Jesus Christ, we're founded, we want to serve God, we can actually be doing the opposite. I don't think these people were saying, we want to serve Satan, so we're going to talk this way about other followers of the Messiah. That wasn't what they were saying, but that was what they ultimately were doing. Um, I love this promise in Isaiah 54. You probably know, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But I, I wonder how many, you know, you know what the weapon is that was being formed? What is the weapon that is being formed? Slander. Judgment, judgmental words that are false. Uh, it says, every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. And, and he says, that he's going to answer it with his righteousness. When you think about that verse, when somebody says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, you can say, well, yeah. Um, you know, well might the accuser roar of, of sins that I have done. Um, I know them all and thousands more, but Jehovah knoweth none. <laughs> have you heard that little, that little rhyme? Well might the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more, but Jehovah knoweth none. <laughs> he is my defender. Uh, and so you have in the context of this church that Jesus had nothing against, you have a group on the outside who said they were Jews, but really were not and really were attacking um, the very work of God. Uh, and so Jesus draws this to their attention. But here's what he says about them, um, um, about this particular church. He says, do not fear do not fear 
what you are about to suffer. I want that just to weigh to us because if, if, if I were this church in Smyrna uh, and somebody said, there's a letter from Jesus come to you. And I'd be like, oh, you know, Jesus is hearing my prayer. I mean, so you'd say, if you said to me, Bob, like there's a letter from Jesus. He's heard your prayers. Here's, here's what he said. All right. Then I would be thinking the things I've been praying about are about to get their answer. Deliverance is here. Uh, there's going to be all of these the glorious unwindings of all the things that are tangled up in my life, the things that I've been praying for that are unanswered, it's going to come through, right? And the letter says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. I'm like, okay, thank you, Jesus, but I was hoping for deliverance. I was hoping for you to say, don't fear, what, don't fear what you think you're gonna suffer because I've got it under control. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> but he says, you are gonna suffer. There's a, a throwaway line that I think we don't pay enough attention to what, that Paul wrote from prison to the Philippian church. And he says, it was given to you not only to believe on me, but also to suffer. Um, suffering is a calling. Suffering is a calling. And here he says that his church was going to show the world the difference that Jesus made, not by being exempt from suffering, not, have, not having a get out of suffering free call, but that when we suffer, we are called to display to the world the difference of enduring that suffering with Jesus as opposed to enduring that suffering with nothing but darkness and emptiness. And so suffering is a calling I like what William Barclay said about the church. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. He promised them that they would be completely fearless. He promised them that they would be absurdly happy. And he promised them that they would be in constant trouble. <laughs> How do you feel about those three things? <laughs> he wants to make you, if you're a follower of Christ, he wants to make you completely fearless, absurdly happy. Okay, I'm good. And in constant trouble. Okay. <laughs> Which makes the fearlessness and the joy all the more impressive. Uh, Richard Wormbrand, if you know that, that name, was a Lutheran pastor in Romania. He suffered for 14 years uh, in prison because Romania at that time had state-enforced atheism. And he lived an amazing life. And he, he says this, he says, I have found truly jubilant Christians only in three places. You want to be a truly jubilant Christian? How many say, I want to be a jubilant Christian? I do. Yeah, how many of you? You're, you're wondering if it's a trick question, some of you. <laughs> Richard Wimbrand said this. He says, I have found truly jubilant Christians only in three places. Only in the Bible. Well, the Bible's been written and it's done. So, you know, no, you're not going to make that list. In the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. Those are the three places if you want to be a jubilant Christian, according to Richard Wormbrand. <laughs> well, I do think that you can be a jubilant Christian in this life because guess what? This life is going to have some callings uh, of suffering. And in fact, we live in an age, do you know there are more martyrs in this century than in any other century, uh, in the last century lived than any other century, and we're picking up the pace. The pace uh, in this new century that was birthed 23 years ago is picking up the pace of martyrdom. So, you know, when I was in uh, South India, the fires of that are stirring uh, and all over the world. It's one of the least reported, um, least reported things. And this group is a witness and he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, 
Again, those are the three things Jesus, you need to know from Jesus. You need to know who he is when he says, I am. And then you need to know that he knows your situation. And then you need to know what he's going to give you. And he's giving them incredible consolation. And he's calling them to be martyrs. A martyr simply means a witness. But a martyr is somebody who says, I will choose death rather than deny my faith. That's what a person who is, is set to be a martyr says, I would rather die than outlive my faith in Jesus. It's like, Lord, let me never outlive my love for you. Let me never, it's not worth collapsing. Nope. And a martyr is a witness who, who chooses that. And Jesus, you know, he warned and when he recruited us, it isn't like, you know, um, being recruited to something and then you find out what the fine print is. Jesus put the fine print up front. <laughs> you know, he says, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. Uh, he said in uh, Matthew 10, he says, as the end of the world approaches, he says, an hour is coming for that everyone who kills you will think that they are doing service to God. That's exactly what is going on uh, with this synagogue of Satan that we're accusing the Jews. They thought they were doing service to God. And so it's, it's important for us to know and accept our assignment. Um, because when we know and accept our assignment, then we can stand in that assignment with amazing courage. So important that we have the courage of our convictions and that we establish that even before um, we have the collision of challenge to those convictions. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this about courage. He said, courage is, could be arguably the most important virtue for this reason. Um, the form of every other virtue, if it doesn't have courage, when it is tested, it will collapse. So when you're called to love someone and stand with them, if you don't have courage for what that might cost you, then your love will collapse. Um, courage is, um, you know, without courage, honesty will give way to the force that challenges it. Without courage, um, faithfulness will give way to the things that challenge it. Yeah, you know, the example of Pilate. Pilate was gonna be merciful to Jesus until he was challenged by the mob, by the crowds, and then he gave in. This, this is the problem. And so we need courage. And these words are meant to give us courage in the midst of the challenge of our faith. I love a, a little dialogue from Tolkien's Return of the King. Um, Aragorn asks Eowyn, um, he says, what do you fear, lady? What do you fear? We can ask our own hearts this morning, like, what, what, what are we afraid of? And see what bubbles up. But when this question was asked to this noble lady, here's what she said. She says, I fear that I would stay behind bars until use and old age accept the bars. And I fear that then I will lose all chance of doing great deeds until I can no longer recall or desire to do them. Her biggest fear <laughs> was that she would be so domesticated and chained in that she would lose that willingness to risk it all for Jesus. And you know, if it's the calling of God upon your life to suffer, to stand firm, to stand fast for him, it's not really a risk. If it is, when it's the calling of God, it's not really a risk. And how we need courage in the church. We need courage that has all of the tones of love and grace, but steadfastness that courage, that grit, 
but saying, this is my calling. This is my assignment. I will not budge from it. Uh, you, you cannot intimidate me. You cannot bully me. Um, you cannot shame me. You cannot embarrass me. You cannot push me away from the calling to be who Jesus has called me to be. That is so freeing. You talk about a jubilant kind of life and freedom when you know your assignment and you say, this is my assignment. Many faces emerge before me when I think of courage and I, I think of individuals who've received really hard medical diagnoses. And I'm not saying there isn't a period of grief and remorse and and, and I'm not saying that they didn't try in every way to see if that could be healed and get better. I think that that's how God made us. But I can say in, in the theater of the hearts of those that come to my mind as just courageous examples, they said, you know what? This is my assignment. I'm gonna walk through this and I, and I am, am gonna be a demonstration of the difference of what it means to walk through this with Jesus and his support. And they they left a testimony that is, is never going to be forgotten from, from all of us who observed it. I, I've, I've seen people waiting between life and death. I've seen people waiting for a transplant that never came. And in the midst of the waiting, they're throwing parties for the hospital staff. Thinking of, of one person in John Hopkins University Hospital well, we actually canceled a wor an evening worship service because they wanted a caravan of people to come and throw a party for them even as they received the, the likely news that they were never going to get that transplant. But they were throwing a party <laughs> because they said, I, I want people to know the difference of waiting for a transplant that never comes with Jesus and waiting for it with Jesus than even getting it without him. And, and, and so this is a precious calling and it, it needs us to stick to each other uh, with that same kind of courage. <clears throat> Again, an, another great scene from uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien's book, and um, uh, they're, they're talking to Frodo and, and um, Sam says these words to him because he's saying, you can't go with me. You can't go with me as I'm facing this darkness, this trip to drop the ring into Mordor and, and, and all that. Uh, and, and Sam says these words to us, you know, he says, you can trust us because we're gonna stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. You can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than even you yourself can keep it. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone. Oh, I love those words. You cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. There it is. We, we know most of what Gandalf has told you about some really horrible, scary things that are gonna happen. We know a whole lot of good, we know a whole lot, a good deal about the ring. And we are horribly afraid as your friends, but we are coming with you or we are gonna follow you like hounds. <laughs> I want to be that kind of friend. You know, I, I, can, I can count those kind of friends. Those are like your foxhole kind of friends. But doesn't it bolster, doesn't it give you a sense of fearlessness where you say, come what may, whatever, whatever happens to me in the, you know, in this uncertain, fickle, frail world and situation we live with temporarily able bodies, but we're not gonna, 
you know, unless we're taken in a flash, we're not going to end with, with all of our abilities and bodies and all of that. But if we can say, I have friends who are going to follow me like hounds. <laughs> or to say, you know what, and I can say this. I think it's pretty clear. Every one of us is called to be a friend like that to someone. What if we were a church? I don't know how you put this on a sign or something, but basically say, come here and, and come here and pick up a couple hound dogs for your worst horrific trials. <laughs> and, and, and again, the hound of heaven that will never leave us is Jesus. And he says, be faithful unto death and I'm going to give you the crown of life. This is why he can say in the first, first part of this verse where he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Do not fear. Fear, fear is our great enemy. Um, somebody said it, it, it's the only true opponent that we really have is fear. We can fight the other opponents, but if we don't fight fear, we haven't really fought them. I mean, you can, you know, you can fight cancer. You can fight your fear of abandonment. You can fight your, all that. But if, if your real fight is with your fear. It, it's not with your diagnosis. It's not with the horrible things that might happen. Your, your real fight is with fear. And if you don't fight fear, then you're, there's going to be this kind of undescribable darkness that you're not able to lift off your spirit. You've got to, you've got to deal with fear. And um, again, I'm, I'm not saying there isn't, there isn't a kind of healthy fear. Um, there, there is a kind of healthy fear. Um, there's, you know, the prudent see evil coming and they take refuge, Proverbs 22. Um, you know, if you're on the beach and a lightning storm comes, take refuge. <laughs> that's, just, that's just smart. Fear is a, it's like pain. It, it tells us that we need to seek cover. But there are things that we should not fear. Uh, and Jesus says here, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Because if we fear these things more than we walk in faith, then fear will kind of diffuse into a generalized anxiety. It's, it's one way to test your fears. If there's something specific that you should fear and there's an action to be taken, then that's probably a godly, wise, good kind of fear. But when it diffuses into a generalized panic that starts confronting us in our soul, then that's toxic fear. That's fear that is coming after you. Good fear galvanizes you for action and you take cover and you do it and then you say, I've done what needs to be done. Bad fear just kind of is the freak out mode where you're just fried and frazzled and, and, and it just, or, you know, or it's just this kind of, you know, sound that sucks the life out of you in the background because it's all vague. And here, they had real fear. They'd seen the apostles slaughtered. They knew that Paul had been beheaded by now. They, uh, they may know that Peter, if, if the legend is true, was crucified upside down. Um, but they know that they're all gone. Like they've done this to these leaders. They could come after us at any moment. They could come through the doors. They knew it was real. And Jesus says, I'm the match for your fears. And so he's, do, do not, do not fear. Paul wrote to the Philippians again, he says, stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. They were gonna, they were gonna preach a powerful sermon <laughs> to the bullies and the persecutors and those that were gonna put them down by their fearlessness. 
And when we're operating in faith, when we're operating in faith, um, there is this incredible intimacy with Jesus that only strengthens it. When we're operating in faith, there's a sense in which we say to the devil, um, you know, we say, hey, devil, (laughs) you sit down because you are going to have to watch me worship Jesus all the way through this trial that you're trying to panic me with. Hey, devil, you sit down. I am going to worship through this because um, you are not equal to this battle. Hey, devil, I want to remind you, (laughs) you are not the opposite of God. You are the opposite of the archangel Michael. (laughs) You are not equal to God. Um, The world is not the opposite of the church because greater is the one who is in the church than he that is in the world. Yeah, the ruler of this world, uh, the devil wants to rule over this world, but, you know, he is a trespasser. Um, He does not own title and sway to this world. God's going to renew it from the bottom up. Uh, And he is not our equal as the church. Greater than us in ourselves, but not greater than us because of the one who is in us. Uh, And so we know the victory. And so we can face him down. And there's a sense in which if you're not in some way taking on a burden or suffering something, you're either numb to life or, um, you know, as, as the... I used to hear from a black preacher I liked, he said, you know, if, if you don't open your front door in the morning and you find yourself facing the devil, then you're walking the wrong way. If you're a believer in Christ, there will be resistance. But here he says, and, and I love this. Um, no, not that. I love that too, but <laughs> a little malfunction here. Give me that last verse. We needed a little comic moment there, right? But he says, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You have an ear this morning? This is a good word. This is a good word. You know what Jesus wants you to hear? He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You know, the first death was the, uh, the death of our souls becoming dead in trespasses and sins. The second death is this, this death uh, that we face. And he says, you do not need to fear The worst thing that can happen to you that the world would say is death. But in Jesus, death is not the executioner. Death is the gardener. (laughs) In Jesus, death is not the executioner. Uh, Death is basically your your escort to the greatest eternal party (laughs) that Jesus has purchased for you. Death is not ultimately the fear. Do you know what's going to happen after death? You're going to find yourself taking all kinds of words upon your lips that you have longed to say that you haven't been able to say for so many years in this life because you're going to not only see Jesus and experience things that are indescribable, uh, more than what you could dream up. Uh, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You're gonna have all these descriptions that I'm just thinking about. You know what? Some of those words are gonna be just the relationships that Jesus is going to restore. I mean, I think like, I haven't said the word dad since I lost my dad. Do you know what I'm gonna get to say in heaven? I'm gonna get to say, hey, dad. (laughs) Hey, grandma. Hey, my brother John, I'm going to restore conversations that were broken off too early and abruptly. Some of you have lost spouses and loved ones. Do you know what you're going to, you know, that you're going to be transitioned uh, out of this life 
into, escorted into the presence of Jesus, some indication by the holy angels, uh, astounded by the glories of heaven. And then you're gonna turn around to the people around you that you love and have longed for, and you're gonna say, we're here. <laughs> the second death didn't hurt us. And following Jesus was so worth it. <laughs> I am so glad for everything I, I gave, everything I offered, every relationship I persevered in. I'm so glad that Jesus kept me by his grace and held me fast. It's worth it. Amen. And so it's so worth it to keep our ears open because he doesn't want us to fear. He wants us to accept our assignment because he has a crown of life for us. We're gonna close with a song that really sings a prayer of courage. It's, it is the Lord's prayer, the words of this song. And I was reading in the, in the second century, do you know that Christians, I'm not saying this was the right practice, but I, I appreciate the boldness behind it. They did not allow people to be part of the worship service that prayed the Lord's prayer together till they'd gone through like two years of instruction. <laughs> because they viewed this prayer as so explosively powerful. Well, to pray it in a, mixed, in, a, in a group of people was a death sentence because it was seen as such an insurrectionist prayer because it spoke of the kingdom of Christ. Thy kingdom come, these earthly kingdoms go. And we're gonna, we're gonna sing this and make this part of our closing song, but let me close this out in prayer. Father, thank you for these words that fortify our souls. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, for as many breaths and heartbeats as you give us remaining, to live them for you. Thank you, Lord, that the worst things that are feared in this life are but ways to glorify you and ultimately to be escorted into your presence. May you minister to us out of that fullness and may you receive, Lord. Just I pray for this closing song. You would infuse us with a kind of fearlessness and strength as we sing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Church, we invite you to stand. And uh, one cool marker about the church is that uh, Christians can be obnoxious and that we're singing so joyfully in the midst of great trial. Um, as Bob said, um, we have uh, happiness and peace and joy even and no fear even in the midst of great trouble. So let this song be a reflection of that. Thank you.
outside but not in here right maybe leave here with a skip in our step and dancing our way out of here we even got all the rain out of the way for this uh fathers and dads camping weekend next weekend uh find it you can find out more about that out there hope you linger with us uh in the yellow mug and enjoy some conversation with people if you're new drop your connection card uh, in but better yet talk to me or any one of us on staff or folk here. We'll get you introduced. We'd love to help you get to know the riches of what's going on here at CLC family. Uh, Now lift up your hearts and receive this benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.